You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1981 video nasty madhouse. I thought you were going to say video nasty classic. Uh, you know, sometimes you have a point. Sometimes you have a point. They're not all classics. Mm-hmm. That's classic West, though. <laughs> it is classic West because I get excited about these things. And I really am excited that we can get to Madhouse. I'm excited, too. I'd never seen it before. And now mm. I have. I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that you did, too. This was one of those films where I bought it when Arrow had released their, their collector's edition of it. And I watched it and I said, ooh, this is for the show, I feel. I feel this is going to be good for the show. And then when I had suggested it and just leading into the films that we are leading into... I had thought, oh yeah, this is this is the opportunity, and I think Lydia's gonna like it. Then I got a little self-conscious, and so I rewatched it because then I was thinking, eh, I hope this is not in my head where I think Lydia'll like it, and you'll just sit there and like not be able to stand it. Sometimes my confidence gets shaken by you. And I have no idea why. <laughs> I am basically a house elf. <laughs> you are a free elf though. I gave you a sock years ago. You washed it. It was nice. Um, I couldn't help it. <laughs> um, then when I rewatched it, I said, "Yeah, I think uh, I think Liz is gonna like this one. It's got a lot of things that you dig. It's got we're briefly in a hospital. Briefly enough, though, just enough to appease me. We got twins. We do. Yeah, one's horrible. One's pristine. I like that duality. Yeah, this yeah, Gemini yeah, thing yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah, and." Okay. We got ourselves a vicious dog. A pupper. That's what people on the internet call them. Uh, yeah, good dog. Real cute, well-trained, not too barky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is undeniable. This is a very well-trained dog. Very well-trained dog. I think this dog probably had a belly full of peanut butter by the end of this shoot. He did very well. I even like his twin, the puppet dog. Did really good. I like the intro to this film a lot. I like the. I, I don't like the choice of the sing songy little folk songs and stuff and little nursery rhymes. I don't really like the choices of them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, whatever. I didn't write the fucking thing. Uh, but I like the idea of mm-hmm, it. The execution mm-hmm. was a little bit clunky. Wasn't sure how you were gonna feel about that. Yeah, because there doesn't seem to be much context to. The songs and sometimes listen. The opening uh, song is just creepy and it works, right? I'm guessing that he's Irish. Like he's yeah. a pastor. His name's James. I'm just guessing. Their last name's Sullivan. Mm-hmm. It's Irish. So I'm just guessing that they're they're. If he would have just mentioned maybe that like oh he's so typically Irish, always with singing songs, that would have <laughs> helped a little maybe. But I mean whatever, as mm-hmm. it works. The choice was just maybe more typically Irish than we're used to here. Maybe, yeah. maybe. But he definitely has his, his strong Irish roots. 
And he's a fucking sure priest as Catholic as the day is long. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad you're liking this one. This film, by the way, is a video nasty. And I wanted to double check uh, a couple of my facts and figures when it comes to video nasties. This is actually one of the 33 prosecuted films in the video nasty library. And could you imagine what that might be for? Um, at first, okay, I had written down in my notes, because I in the intro there is a pretty brutal little snippet in the intro it's mm-hmm. kind of out of context i guess it's a it's a nightmare i think yeah I i'm think taking that. it as a nightmare but i mean it's a little brutal but it's not like super brutal and i think that it's something that could be excused because it's the intro and if that was the most hardcore gore in the whole thing then i'm like why would this be a video nasty and then so like about halfway through the film i wrote down in my notes with a big circle and everything why is this a video nasty and by the time we got to the point that I think we agree is the <laughs> point, I wrote simply, oh, <laughs> I see why this is a video nasty. In the minds of many people, uh, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, that is, it's not like an untoward moment. It's not a moment where somebody's like, I'm just going to pull some gore for gore's sake. There was uh, a great plot lead up to this. There was real reason for it. That was a tool at hand, no pun intended. <laughs> but I mean, so it's in context and it's not unduly gory for no reason. Exploitative. It's not exploitative. But I guess in some people's minds it would be. And certainly not by today's standards. So, in, in Mary yeah. Whitehouse's mind, it would have been something. That was the person that had. Uh, spearheaded what was commonly known as the video nasty like the list. The tipper gore of video nasty. The, yes, the tipper gore of video nasty. That's a very apt, uh, very apt comparison. The term comes from the National Viewers Association. And, and this is all in response to back in the day when there was video releases, it was unheard of. Like you, when you went to go to the movie, see the movies back in the day, you saw them in the theater or you didn't see them. That was kind of it. And you could go to second-run theaters, and you can go to drive-ins, and that was your opportunity to sort of see things twice. But then when television happened, and then all of a sudden you could see some of these movies in your home. But, I mean, like, listen, TV wasn't playing, um, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything like that. But then all of a sudden this huge secondary market debuted because when VCRs were created and people realized that you could sell videos and people understood that you could circumvent a lot of censorship, especially in the UK, if you, instead of going through the film board, you just release it on video, which was the wild fucking West. In the same way that we consider the internet, well, the internet is becoming more regulated every minute, but when the internet first became the internet, it was just kind of anything goes and people didn't know what you were legally allowed to do. And all of a sudden we're downloading music and streaming movies and all this other shit. It was the same thing back in the day. And people like Mary Whitehead got very concerned with this huge clamoring, almost an insatiable appetite for content. And there was even warning campaigns because theoretically someone who was watching videotapes could watch videotapes all day and they could just not go to their job and not go to school and just vegetate in front of the TV and rot their minds and, and, and all this kind of shit. So there was a lot of uh, fear mongering around VHS tapes, which is 
ridiculous now because a lot of people, even when they're fondly looking back on renting videos from fucking Blockbuster and shit like that, it's like these clean stores and couples holding hands and trying to figure out what the hell they're doing with their Saturday night. And But before then, it was at the back of bookstores and it was like these weird um, little mom and pop shops that would, you would get videos from. And in the UK, they decided to, uh, bef- before um, what the video nasties led to, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself or getting off topic, was the, uh, uh, the Obscene Publication Act from 1984. And when that happened videos had to go through a screening process, but there was a catch to it all. Um, It was prohibitively expensive. So you had a choice. You could pay out the ass uh, or not make your movie or especially if like, if you, if they, if you knew they were going to send it back to you and if it had stuff like violence and a lot of nudity, uh, incest plots, like anything like that, you were going to get it sent back to you and you could either cut the film beyond recognition or you can resubmit it. But that was a huge process and they knew that. So it really put a lot of these burgeoning underground video markets out of business. Uh, so congratulations (laughs) <laughs> you fucking fascists and what bum fights is still banned in quebec <laughs> rightfully so that's that's different but and and before the the publication act before videos all videos had to go through this screening process there was just uh the video nasty list was created but the problem with it was that it ebbed and flowed. It changed because what is, you know, morals become relaxed and tightened over the years. And all of a sudden something that was morally reprehensible one minute was fine this time. And so uh, the original 72 films, films got removed, films got added, films were unsuccessfully prosecuted, but there are 30, uh, 33 successfully prosecuted films. We've covered a couple of them. We've done Maniac. That's a successfully prosecuted film. We've done The Burning. That was episode one. Right on to Which the, is still surprising to me that it's a video nasty. The snipping fingers scene, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Listen, yeah. this I, has some some legs. You could you could tell me it has four legs. <laughs> you could you could argue this scene to me is very distressful to many people. And it might just be drills because we've also handled another video nasty. We've done Drill or Killer, one of my favorite video nasty films. Mm -hmm. And and that, again, more drills, drills and heads. Maybe they're really they're just like, oh, drills, filthy, they're so penetrative. We all know what that's implying. I didn't think about it this way in this in this specific case. He's head fucking that dog. My word, that's that's brilliant, and that would almost get it banned here in Ontario. I subscribe to an email list of things that are currently banned, and it's nothing fun at all. Like I, once in a while, I notice a cool band. There's some cool bands that are banned for content, um, extreme violence and gore and um, the sex things. Uh, mostly, it's just like incest porn that's mostly what's banned here right now mm-hmm. and bum fights in quebec <laughs> yeah yeah but it's not you know as fun as the video nasty list as as it existed it's true it's true no yeah no mary white house would be spinning in her grave if she knew the just the fucking vile p- 
penis-like obscenities that we're spewing forth yeah, on a spewing daily, forth. if not bi-weekly basis. Yeah, and I don't even think um, it's a matter of you you guys are just so desensitized to all the horror that you watch. There might be some truth to that, but I think I think that you could sit down almost anyone in front of any of the video nasty lists and they probably wouldn't quite get it. Um, maybe stuff like you could, uh, maybe stuff like the animal cruelty in Cannibal Holocaust and, and shit like that. Like there are scenes of animal cruelty on the video nasty list and that's why they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can get because, you know, horror fans tend to be animal lovers a lot of the time and people generally, you don't want to see a turtle get decapitated. But for something like this, I, I just think that, yeah, tastes have just changed. I mean, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the famous video nasty is, I mean, I love that film. Very tame, though. Very tame. Like, in terms of what it's actually showing, it's 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 a very raw, relentless film. And I fucking love that movie i want to watch an episode or listen to an episode we did a commentary track about it but it's not very violent even even the chainsaw death yeah Yeah. is there blood in that scene like a spurt maybe a bit of a spurts and that's like yeah you know and the whole famous girl on a hook scene doesn't actually happen a lot of the bludgeoning we don't really see yeah we may see the aftermath of it, but it's nothing like the gore that we can accomplish today. No, that you could sit pretty much anyone down in front of this particular film. Even with that scene, it depends, though, because I do know people that can't handle the horse death in the ring. You had told me about that. So, Very yeah. fascinating. Which, yeah, and actually it disturbed him to probably to this day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but he's not a horror film watcher, necessarily, and... Very, very sensitive to animal cruelty at that. So if somebody wasn't a horror fan, they could probably handle this movie. Mm-hmm. Madhouse is not that bad. At mm-hmm. all. It's not really scary. It's not too... It's creepy and it's interesting. It's atmospheric. Yeah. But it's not like, I don't know, terrifying. Mm-hmm. But that particular scene, if they're an animal lover... Well, an animal lover side. An animal lover can watch that. An overly sensitive animal lover that doesn't like the visual of that. Yeah, because it's really, when you're talking about, um, this is fake animal cruelty. This is not a real thing. So This is puppy puppet. It is a puppy puppet. (laughs) It's a puppy puppet, which is very fun to say. Um, It it is one of those scenarios where, uh, yeah, if I know people that can't be confronted with the idea of it, but that's in tying with what you've said before on the show, which was horror is an emotion. And I love that there are things in movies, horror movies in particular, that evoke an emotion that makes you look at it through a totally different prism. The Ring, one of my favorite films of all time, I love that film because I love ghosts and and I think that, you know, uh, Samara is like this relentless force of nature and it's fucking so cool. I never would have thought to look at that film from the prism of that horse scene is so violent. I fucking, <laughs> I, know, right? I fucking forget that that scene is in that movie. Many people do. All the time. And then, and it's not until she's on the boat and then you start seeing the horse wig out. I, every time I'm like, oh, yeah. But I, and I fucking do know that it happens because of this thing and. It didn't, up until the the point that it was explained to me how scarring watching that film was to this person, 
didn't even register. And I love that scene because of spending time with animals on farms and knowing how reactive they are to environmental stressors or reactive they are to like, you know, you wouldn't hear the person walking up the driveway hundreds of meters away. But if they're, you know, wearing a black coat and the horse doesn't like people in black coats, they're going to start reacting. And you'll notice because of their wild eyes, they're stamping, they're snorting, they get very uptight very quickly. I saw a little comic once about um, a, a horse uh, watching a horror movie, and the horse is watching the horror movie, and then there was a plastic bag, bag flapping, and the horse freaks out and starts yelling, turn it off, turn it off, because they are, that is it. A, a plastic bag, bag floats in the parking lot, and the horses are all going to freak out because mm-hmm. they're very touchy like that. So I love that scene because it captures that. I don't love the scene because the horse gets chewed up in the fucking paddle of the boat i don't like that of Mm -hmm. course but i do love that scene i'd forgotten about it though i didn't realize what it would do to people yeah so i'd love to trick him into watching this i wonder Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know if he would ever speak to you again (laughs) no problem oh well all right then (laughs) but fuck all that what's this movie even about anyways what is this movie even about anyway? It is about how uncles can sometimes be named father. And it's deeply confusing to some and not so deeply confusing to others. When he's wearing his little collar, it's pretty clear. When he's not and he's feeling you up and singing songs in your ear and blindfolding you and hanging out with your crazy sister, then it gets deeply confusing that uncle father... Uncle Father, yeah. He's singing you songs. He is singing his songs. He's a fucking chatty guy, too. He is a chatty guy. But like you said, if he was acting like this, the way he acts at the end of the film, at the beginning of the film, you would be very creeped out by Uncle Father. Oh, my God. Uncle Father is the fucking worst. Yeah. Father James. He is the uncle of Mary and Julia. Yeah. Mary and Julia. And you'll never guess what, Lids. What? It's the lady's birthday coming up real soon. Yeah, six days till Julia's birthday, which I must protest immediately. It is Julia and Mary's birthday, fuckers, mm. because they're twins, god damn you. Yeah, it's but you, it's no wonder that Mary has a complex mm-hmm. about sharing her birthday. You mean Julia's birthday. Right, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute though and i get it like yeah it's julia's birthday because she's the one she's the school teacher she teaches deaf children which is a noble cause and she's a wonderful teacher her children in the class really love her mm-hmm. and she likes them very much they all she is a very good like simpatico teacher student relationship she has with each one of these students especially this younger one sasha he's a little mm-hmm. boy mm-hmm. um she seems to really have taken a shine to which is great so mm-hmm. she's a all-around great person has a great boyfriend this doctor mm-hmm. i didn't catch his name dr jack dr james dr dr bob <laughs> dr sam <laughs> just dr sam dr sam yeah dr mustachioed sam he looks a lot like a willem defoe yeah he really does when I didn't notice that until you pointed it out, mm-hmm. and then I thought to myself, "Oh shit, you're right." Give Willem Dafoe really bad hair and a horrific mustache mm-hmm. and a little out of shape, and then you got this guy. So yeah. kudos, Willem Dafoe, for keeping your shit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still looking good. Got creepy small eyes, but 
it works for you, man. Um, uh, uh, sorry, Willem, if you're listening. And I know you are. So when we are introduced to Julia, she is a good person. Beautiful, successful, like you're saying, noble work, successful boyfriend. They seem to be all right. Lives in a bit of a shithole. But it's under renovation. It's a wonderful mansion, actually. And what wonderful mansion is in a bit of a shithole? Especially when it's like, yeah, being renovated like this. Um, I'm sure, like, the rooms that are not under renovation seem really nice. And it used to be uh, a funeral parlor of note. Anyone who was anyone got buried there, apparently, according to the landlady. That is an interesting factoid. And you'd think that it would kind of become more of a plot point later. Like, you think that there might be an old furnace down there for cremation, or there might be um, something, slabs, something, anything. I get, almost as if you'd think by the end of the film, the, 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 the birthday party would be held in some long forgotten... Chapel or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. I like that it's just sort of a footnote. I do. And it explains the layout of the place a little better, kind of. But I like that it's just a footnote because you don't have to really, you know, crank everything up to 11. And that's the subtleties in this film are what works, definitely. Aside from the acting of Trish Everly, who plays Julia in her only role, and apparently, according to the internet, no one knows why, but she does really good for... A first role. This is her first time on screen. Wonderful. She would be at home in some of the greater Italian splatter fix, just as at home in an American splatter. So we've got this like mm-hmm. marriage of those. Two. She has a real, uh, for lack of a better term, giallo look about her. Just the hair and the 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 costuming. Particular- the soft hair, wonderful skin. She's fit and she's well spoken. Mm-hmm. Particularly in those scenes in which she's at home and she's in a nightgown and there's these voyeuristic shots through furniture. I, the the whole time you're just like, oh my god, this is this is like every giallo that you've ever seen. Just with these the particular shots. And she, like I said, she looks like one of just like these impossibly gorgeous women from Ajalo. She also pulls off the nonverbal communications that seem to be needed in mm-hmm. European film with her eyes. And there is even that, you know, cliche close up of her eyes darting mm-hmm. back and forth type mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, just when you think they're not going to be pulling these cliches out of the filmmaker's toolbox, mm. that they do. and But it's used very, very subtly. Even the uses of color, the use of natural light is uh, abundant, which I really appreciate. Um, the use of a soundtrack that is, you know, flutes and vi- violins, a lot of strings, a lot of synth, mm-hmm. a bit of water phone, just enough. So they, they've used that out of the filmmaker's tool bag, but just gently and subtly here and there. And the script actually pulls the most weight here. And she delivers that as well, too, aside from her nonverbals and her facial expressions, especially when she's looking shocked, scared, and confused. Mm-hmm. Very important. And what made me guess correctly that this would be in Kayla Janice's book, House of Psychotic Women. Ooh. A sharp, colorful film with a few standout performances, most notably Dennis Robertson as Uncle James, who seems to be channeling the dark alter ego of tragic folk singer Phil Ox. Madhouse is stylistically impressive, but the plot lags 
and the denouement suffers from its similarity to J. Lee Thompson's Superior Happy Birthday to Me, which came out the same year. No wonder I wanted to see Happy Birthday to Me so bad. Yeah, that was um, the ending to Happy Birthday to Me and this are almost identical in the idea of like a birthday party, a twin, uh, the dead dressed up for a birthday like it it's the same scene with obviously exception of you don't have a a father type type Uncle. yeah you don't have like that going on but like that's how come i was wondering if uh i was like i wonder if lids is gonna notice that like i've never seen happy birthday to me i have it so. yeah we were gonna do it for a birthday oh yours right surprise surprise <laughs> Well, I do like surprise. I do like surprises. Um, I'm just glad you don't share your birthday with anyone, so I don't get confused. You know, it's funny that you say that because in my family, and you know this, but the audience might not. My mother and sister share a birthday, and not only my mother and my sister share a birthday, but back in the day when my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, were still alive, uh, their wedding anniversary was on the same day. So it was a very busy day. And I wonder if my mom just stood over my sister's crib with a rock and and a, and a snapping dog and matches. Burning and her. Burning her yeah. with the embers. Um, and just saying, why should I have to share my birthday with you? Yeah, probably. She probably did. That's why they get along so famously now. <laughs> mom, I don't blame you. <laughs> No. And I'm totally kidding. <laughs> they they have great testing docs. At least they get along there. <laughs> they do. They really do. Um, there's a there's an interesting bit of lore around this film that is never really explained. Oh, do tell. Uh, <laughs> just just in the sense that when this film is created, there's a lot of backstory to these characters that are never really fleshed out beyond the fact like for example the the mansion is a footnote in the same sense of the opening sequence is probably a dream sequence not actual fact because obviously her sister julia's sister mary you would think oh is her sister deformed because she had her fucking face bashed in with a rock no she's sick she has um, lesions and stuff like, like that. Bacteria that's yeah. degenerating her face. Yeah. Um, because Julia gets a call from her father, uncle. Father, uncle. <laughs> her uncle, father. Uncle, father James. <laughs> father James, who is her uncle. Is a pastor or a priest or something. I yeah, believe he's yeah, a pastor. Yeah, I think she's a pastor. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she gets a call from him, this confusing man. And his message is that she he wants her to come and visit to visit her sister who is in hospital. She's been in the hospital and she hasn't seen her for seven or nine years. Something like that. And it's because they share a link, a bond. And it's taken her this long to get away from her. And it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, you're not explaining anything. Uh, we still don't get a lot of stuff explained when she goes to visit her. So we sort of have this idea that this is going to be a, a nice little reunion. Maybe she'll find some peace going to visit her sister on their birthday or right before their birthday in the hospital for the first time in years. Mm -hmm. And Uncle Father thinks it's a great idea. Yeah, and he's talking real gentle and he's trying to deliver some fairly tough news that perhaps the reason why this is the year to get back together is because this illness that has stricken Mary is terminal. 
Uh, they can make her comfortable, but they really can't do much else. And she's been bedridden for about nine months at this point. Now, prepare yourself because you may not recognize her. But Julia. we're identical twins. Not anymore. <laughs> this is a good excuse to have two, two different actors play twins. Oh, yeah. I never thought of that. It truly is. Because I do not. You can't even see it. When you get like some good looks at Mary, she does not look a thing like Julie, even underneath, you know. Yeah, underneath different body type. Like, they're very different uh, in every physical characteristic, and they're not going to do the parent trap thing in which there's one actor is just basically green screened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this meeting, if you were vaguely afraid of your twin sister, you also found out that they were terminally ill. You also found out that not only are they terminally ill, but their illness has defigured them to the point in which they are virtually unrecognizable. So picture Zelda from Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is it is very much yes, actually. Wow, yeah, that's another good pull. It's your fucking That's what I do. <laughs> pull. Oh God. Anyway, um the <laughs> so all of these factors combine. This is still the worst case scenario for how you could have a reunion with anybody. The only way that it could be worse is if she pulled out a gun and shot you in the face. I wrote down heartwarming reunion. No, Lydia. No. That's not a heartwarming... No. Oh, nightmare-inducing hell pit. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, the that's one. More like that. She is just... You want to talk about things going up to 11. And talk about not letting things go. It's like she starts off on a fucking conversation they were having nine years ago with like, what the fuck? Like, look at my face. This is where you're going to be. You're never going to let... I'm never going to let you go. You're never going to get rid of me. Like, wow, calm down, lady. Yeah, I've always been able to find you. You can never get away from me. Miss Prim and Proper. I was like, well, seeing as she's not gnashing at you in a fucking bed with, like, wool mittens on. Wait, she is. (laughs) (laughs) And the maniacal laughter. I do like the maniacal laughter. It's very good. It's very very good. good. I think that for all the subtlety in this film, both Uncle Father and Mary put it through this fucking, and I say this all the time, but cartoon-like prism where it makes the softness it's like what metallica said if you want your songs to seem fast you have a slow song before the fast song and then you do another slow song and then you do a fast song it makes your songs seem faster and more intense no wonder that the professors are metal exactly uh, <laughs> also named james um but <laughs> you you have these two characters there's really three characters that are like fucking just looney tunes yeah and and everything else is just quiet particularly scenes with julia there she's such a hushed breathy speaker she truly is and even like her apartment is nicely lit and tastefully decorated in pastels and light colors all very lights and beiges. There's not a lot of bright colors in there. All wicker furniture. All very airy. And juxtaposed with the, the bright garishness of other people. And even for all of its airy and open spacedness, her 
landlord, Amarantha at Beauregard's apartment, is full of bright colors and insanity. Because that would be the third character, I suppose. That oh, yeah, that is the cartoon. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Kimura gets very close, but because I actually know somebody in in my real life that is kind of similar, I don't think it's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, everyone else, holy shit, particularly Uncle Father by the time he gets going, because at least Mary with our first introduction, that is intense. And, and I would never want to ever see that person again. I would be thinking about that constantly. And they spent all of, like, maybe a minute and a half mm-hmm. in that hospital ward together. And Julia leaves a fucking shaking, screaming, crying wreck that is going to be scarred for the next seven years of her life or nine yeah. years or however long it mm-hmm. was since they saw each other. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, bad idea, Father James. Yeah, interesting, though, and that he would be so... Really presenting something that wasn't true. Now we're present. We are given a choice here about how we're interpreting the scene, as always. The easiest way at this point in the story is to assume that well, Mary must, it, Julia must set her off. She she must be able to be somewhat lucid in any other given circumstance. But for some reason, her sister, because you would have to assume, well, Mary is is just tricked. Father James. That's how he got her to... Sort of. And you look at it from the other point of view where Mary definitely sets Julia off because she is a totally other person when we see her after Mm -hmm. she's met up with her sister for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But she's going to tell her boyfriend all about it. And and, uh, listen, she's got a lot of teaching to do. She's got deaf kids to uh, empower. Yeah. I, I feel as though at this point, it's something that she is just as soon willing to forget. Or she would try to, if not for her going to church and fucking Father James. His sermon is just like, thanks a lot, buddy. Not a good fucking idea. What are you trying to fucking do? Although I did make a little footnote because I'm like, remember this for later. Yeah. That part where he basically browbeats his entire flock and you specifically, Julia, about the importance of siblings. And the importance of sharing your lives with siblings and the importance of not being selfish and keeping all of your good looks and success and cool boyfriend and awesome job to yourself. Yeah. From your sister. Yeah. This is basically the conversation he's having as his sermon. If this if this was a Mexican soap opera, it would be Mary trying to replace her and have her life. She wouldn't be deformed at all. They'd just both be beautiful. And then she would just try to, like, show up and be like, I'm Julia now. If it was a soap opera, she'd have, like, I don't know, a, a, a cauliflower ear that she'd hide with her hair. <laughs> yeah. Shock of gray. That's her mad deformity. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not, because she is quite hideously deformed. We don't really get to see what's under the wool and gloves, which prompted me to also jot down that there's no black glove killer. It's a gray wool glove killer. Very un... They look very uncomfortable and very. itchy. They do look itchy. You're right. You're like, I, I just... I just... Blah. Like, and they probably, like, really, like, make that gross like wet texture if like like when a cat or a dog is chewing on a knit toy oh don't even oh i want to grind my teeth oh i hate that so much this is wes's nails on a chalkboard oh it is i fucking can't stand it oh wish you could see his face 
oh, like I'm like clenching. It's so gross. It's wonderful. It's not good. No, it is. This is what makes this a video nasty. This is like me watching someone brush their teeth. Uh, I don't, I'm, I don't want to do this. This is what makes this a video nasty. <laughs> True. I don't want to. Those wanna... fucking gloves. And they're yeah. hot, too. <laughs> I know that this story is supposed to be taking place, like, what, like, early November or something like that? Yeah. does not look even remotely cool out. Like, it looks, like, still pretty warm. Well, it says that it was filmed in Savannah, Georgia, so it could be absolutely any time of year, and it would look like blistering heat to us here yeah. in Canada. <laughs> but, like, it doesn't take place in San Francisco, that much I know. You know, Because that's where her boyfriend's supposed to go. Yeah, that's true. And that's and she's going, too. It's going to be a, a nice little trip. And, uh, you know, Father James can't compete with San Francisco. I will say that back when, when she leaves her... Um, sister, and she starts crying. We have something that I guess could be considered foreshadowing. You know, like this weird security guard that just sort of stops, looks at them, and then wanders off. Mm-hmm. It's a weird reaction, but maybe you just see somebody crying in a hallway. I always remember one day when I was in high school, and you know, like the hormones of teenagers and shit like that. And I remember walking through the hallway, going through my daily my my routine of getting to whatever class I was going to, and three different girls bawling their fucking eyes out like i turn a corner and there was one of them just like red faced tears streaming down her face like and possibly crying and then you're like Ugh, uncomfortable and you keep walking it's like, jesus christ is another one and then you keep walking and then one just like comes out of the bathroom <laughs> i'd blame birth control pills for one. Oh, maybe mostly but i also i had a workplace like that oh, years God. ago and that was very close to the end of my working there because it was like obviously a very sick workplace because it just was not a healthy place to work and it just there was a lot of just really ridiculous fucking people that cried all the fucking time like that yeah i had a student that that cried quite often it was disgusting yeah in my workplace i've seen so i don't mean to get into a whole thing about people crying in my workplace i've definitely seen somebody cry because they uh something hit them in the head and I didn't know how to handle it because I don't know how to handle an adult crying because they bumped their head. I, 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 I just, uh, it seems. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really awesome. I don't know. This girl cried because uh, three or four classmates were having a party and hadn't invited her. <laughs> oh, this is why we can't deal with people, Lids. True safe. But I can tell you who can deal with people. Who's that? A a delightful little dog. Little puppy. I know we never got this pupper's name. We did. Oh, I keep saying pupper. Fuck thanks, Internet, for uh, infecting me. Yeah, yeah. He's a doggo. And, you know, a little fur baby. I, I do I do take offense to the pronunciation of doge. Doge. I can't say it's not it's doggy. It is doggy. It's not doge. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, so go on. The it's like a gift, Jeff thing. Yeah, right, Doge. right, right. Uh, our security guard is going to be our first victim, really, truly, of this killer dog. Mm-hmm. Because I had to look at the cover again. I mean, what was this movie actually called? It actually had other titles. One it of them did. was not "The Dog That Eats Everybody." <laughs> I'd watch a movie called "The Dog That Eats Everybody." <laughs> that sounds like a good, a good 
Moving me. And it look, they make it look easy because they got the dog puppet. They just got a dog, some peanut butter, fake blood, and a dog puppet for when you can't use a dog. What they needed here, I thought, was a man puppet and a real dog and just switch between <laughs> the two. That would be fun because this is one of the instances where the dog puppet doesn't quite cut it. It's mm-hmm. so a fun death, and it goes on quite long. Like, it's a good little dog attack scene. Lots of blood. Mm-hmm. Lots of blood. But the puppet just doesn't quite. I agree. It, there's, it's really hard to, especially certain scenes that, like, you can just see that, like, off frame, there's a guy just, like, holding this dog head, just going, like, and then and then the bite down onto the neck, it's just, like, it's like a hand puppet, right? Like It's like a hand puppet. Very much like a hand puppet. It really does look it really does look like that. But, um, uh, you know, you can see they're trying. It's like, well, you know, it's 1981. You know, you don't have all the money in the world. At least it looks like a dog. Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't look like a fucking, like they put shag carpeting on a stick. They do very well with the foley. They do very well with the sound effects. They do very well with this dog. This dog must have s- supplied all sorts of noise because he just did a very good job. And it sounds really good. There's mm-hmm. a lot of instances where the sounds are on par with this. Mm-hmm. I found the volume of this film, if I want to be that old lady that bitches about the volume of things, um, it did ebb and flow. I was constantly riding the fucking volume button at the mm-hmm. beginning just because they would speak very softly and then be very loud just talking. So it was strange that way. And sometimes the background noises were a little bit louder, like background music was louder mm-hmm. than it ought to be. Um, but as far as the attacks and things like that, the sounds were really on par, so I liked it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I liked this particular attack, all in all, even with the puppet. It, it's it, it's very interesting to have a film in which you have this woman who has a strength about her, and Julia will even talk about the fact that she seems to almost have this, um, I, don't know, I wouldn't say unnatural strength, because that sort of implies that she's possessed by something, but just um, that that strength that you have from from your fevered madness like 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 getting close to unlocking a human's full potential of their strength which we sort of on a lot of subconscious levels okay tony robbins (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) you know what i'm saying though yeah i do yeah i do and it's not like that it's necessary necessarily surreal it's that they're not giving in to a lot of those weaknesses that humans are famous for yeah yeah exactly um, grabbing somebody like it's a, it's a sense where he's like oh I couldn't bite through my own finger you could easily bite through your own finger but there's a thing in your brain that's stopping you from doing that yeah basically um, uh, yeah so it, it's that sort of like super strength that you that you get uh, when you're just like crazy and fucking mad and and just want to like fucking hold on to somebody but she also has this aspect of having this fucking killer dog that for what from what I can understand is it, it seems unlikely that this dog would be the same dog from their childhood. I'm pretty sure it can't be, because I'm just going to guess that Julia's probably 26. Did they say how old they're turning? It, the no, no, but they got. it looks like she's got to be in her late 20s at least. Yeah. And and so the dog dogs don't live that long. So if they were little kids, even if the dog was still alive by some weird stretch of the imagination, I doubt it would have the get-up-and-go you know, yeah, it'd be a senior pup, and it yeah. would be like gray at the chin, and it would be la- lazy. It would have hip dysplasia and yeah, yeah. cataracts. Not this spry little beast mm-hmm. that we're dealing with here. 
Well, this dog seems to be very uh, still well trained and still very obedient to Mary. We would assume someone must have had the dog while she's in the hospital. Someone else must have raised this dog. But right now, the dog is yes, very obedient to her and can be trained to attack. I guess because not only does she get out of the hospital and kill the security guard, she ends up like she said, following her sister and knowing where she is. She ends up somewhere on the grounds. We are guessing because we haven't seen her, but we see the dog. Yeah, we see the dog on the grounds. Now, this place um, is under renovations. It's pretty fucked up, and it seems as though there's only a couple of people living in the building. Like, honest, honest to God, it seems as though it's Julia and her landlord are the only tenants in the building really no oh, yeah and the maintenance man sort of preps us with like oh well we had one apartment here and one apartment there now she wants two apartments up here and two apartments up here um so it might have only been like three apartments one's vacant something like that it's true it, it could easily be that there seems to be a lot more doors than that but they like i said they could be going through renovations the construction screw is not there they have the maintenance man mr kimura who uh Get, get you know has access it talks about the 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 different ways in which you can get into and out of the building there's a lot of doors that go in between the apartments and shit like that just to give you an idea that there's there's a labyrinth sense to this uh labyrinthian sense to this building and secret passages and doors and stuff like that there's so many fucking doors mm-hmm. that when you're going up the stairs okay you're, you're picturing flights of stairs going mm-hmm. up and back up and back so it's like flights of stairs you'll get up to the top of the landing between the next flight of stairs and the one you're just leaving and there's a fucking door there you open the door and you go around you're basically in a room or a hall or something and it might even be in a whole apartment and there's another door to go up the next flight of stairs there's no walls in between these flights of stairs they're not contained stairs it's an open stairway so you can see the banisters of the next flight of stairs but you have to walk through a door to get to them it's crazy the amount of doors so it is labyrinthian yeah, it's so strange. And also, the rooms themselves are open concept. And it lets you know that, yeah, if this was a funeral home, and funeral homes, generally speaking, were, they're like a big series of living rooms, right? And and they're usually huge to accommodate crowds of people standing. There's usually couches in the corners. So even her landlady has this weird, it's just like an open space with uh, hanging dividers everywhere just all different technicolor so it's a very bizarre surreal design to this place her landlord's place looks almost dreamlike if i could just use a fucking weird phrase a lot of things in this entire film are very dreamlike and this is one of them there's even scenes where they're using something like 30 frames a second of shooting at 180 frames a second or something like that mm-hmm. where it's slightly slowed down mm-hmm. especially when people are trying to run and that's not unique that a lot of films do use it but it seems unique here because it's only at points where you would encounter that in your own dreams and nightmares where these labyrinthian stairways and weird doors and crazy basements and rooms upon rooms are things that I personally have dreams about all of the time and used to have a lot more often, but it is very nightmarish dreamlike. Uh, some of the conversations that people have among one another seem very strange and dreamlike or just smash cut to conversations mm-hmm. seem like trying to remember a dream. Mm-hmm. Right? 
particularly in these moments in which it seems as though people really appear out of nowhere. And I don't mean in that horror way where somebody is leaning out a window and then all of a sudden you see a hand coming and then they slam their hand on the shoulder and somebody turns around all scared and then somebody says, well, it didn't mean to scare you. It's not like that. It means people almost seem to come out of nowhere. But again, there there's all these doors and there's all these different passages in this fucking building. So it's not unheard of. Now, uh, Mr. Kimura is, is going to be our next victim. And this sequence I really, really, really like because it demonstrates how Mary works in conjunction with the dog. The dog really is the muscle. Really, and not only is, um, is it the muscle, but it's the fear factor. Mary herself, I mean, listen, <laughs> Mary looks fucking terrifying. Even if she wasn't deformed from her illness, she's wearing a hospital gown. Her hair is wild and just her silhouette alone is nightmare inducing as far as I'm concerned. But we have this, if you see a dog and it, what is it? It's like a Rottweiler or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it is Rottweiler. Um, when you see a big Rottweiler snarling and growling at you like it's about to fucking jump your nuts. You crouch down and you wiggle your nose up to its nose and you say, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't you don't do that though you do the opposite of that you run away mr funaki uh mr kimura he grabs a stick and fucking goes around the corner and is totally distracted focusing on the closed door because that's where the danger is little does he know that mary was lying in wait fucking flings out of the corner stabs him with a butcher knife it's a single stab and this this film is really with the exception of one scene, it really is when people are getting stabbed by a knife, it's in and out. It's one stab and that's it. They don't really linger on it. But this is an instance in which Mary stabs a guy once, pulls the knife out, and then there's this really slowed down, very dreamlike. Uh, there's... um. Uh, ADR over the th- over the scene. There's loop lines, so she's talking, but her presence is not talking, and she's just kind of floating towards the camera, cackling and saying, "There's another guest for our party," and and that whole sequence is fucking great to me. I love that. It is. It is. Um, I enjoyed those because they're used sparingly and they're used subtly. There's quite a few of these ADR scenes. Uh, specifically with Mary and her weird cackling or weird sayings. Um, later on, when she actually is really out of her mind and saying these crazy things like twins again, twins again, because um, she wants to make them twins again. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't really because she doesn't accomplish that. So whatever. Um, it's not. ADR. It's not slowed down. And it's obviously her saying these things. So it becomes even more surreal later mm-hmm. on in the film because you've been subject to these all very, very strange witch-like dream sequences seem almost like metaphysical. But later on, we get to see that same behavior from her. So it's neat because we get to, it's almost like foreshadowing mm-hmm. her, how fucking crazy she is. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love these little scenes. Very similar to the dream sequence at the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that is um 
we're still in a scenario in this film in which people don't know that other, anyone's really missing. No one knows that security guard. I mean, maybe he has a family who knows, but that's not part of our plot. Uh, uh, nobody really knows that Mr. Kimura is gone. No, and he's in and out, and the, the house is so big and wild, and he hangs out in the weirdest spots of it doing whatever Mr. Kimura's do, and it's not uh, like untoward for him to be missing. But who is missing that becomes apparent is Mary, because at the school, Julia gets called to the office. Yeah. She gets called to the office, but there's, there's a, a, a delicate dance you do in films like this in which you need to have a character in danger. You need to have them know that they're in danger or have a general feeling of uneasiness. But you also need to somehow keep making them not safe. Yeah, exactly. And they they almost accomplish this because, like, they have this conversation that it's apparent that Mary's escaped from the mental institution, which is some really good writing there as far as how that's relayed and her reactions to it. And it's another really great point of this actress doing a really fucking good job for her first and only film role. Like just really impressive with her nonverbal communications in this, but it's okay because she's going to San Francisco. So whether she knows she's in danger or not, or really honestly believes that she's in danger, uh, you know, doesn't have faith maybe in the system that, they could find Mary wherever she is and put her back in the hospital that she is maybe unsafe. It's fine. She's going to San Francisco. doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 Her boyfriend is going to the big conference, a big doctor conference, doctor conference. That's all you need to know. It's a speech thing. He's got a 45 page speech. It's fucking massive. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like, Oh, I thought I would just, uh, Hour four of my speech, I was just going to take out the phone book and start reading names. Just. <laughs> you know what? Like horror experiment aside, I know that 15 pages, 10 pages of printed text, double space, single sided. You're halfway through reading that aloud and you start flipping through thinking, when is this going to fucking end? Even if it's your own words and you're reading it for a crowd that paid to see you do that. But the speech is like. 50 fucking pages. It's crazy. But that's what he's been working on all week. And also, he's on third shift. So, he's working nights at the hospital these days. One thing I really love about these two as a couple, highly believable couple. Although, at first, we weren't sure that they were a couple until they were making out. Yeah. Uh, But once once you accept the fact that they are a couple. And I like that their focus is not on just relationship things and their careers are very important to them. And they don't seem to be sacrificing much either way. They're fully understanding when one says, no, I can't stick around. I got to get to work. Okay, honey, I'll see you later. And that's the end of it. No fucking cry-assing, no guilt-tripping, no bullshit. Not like common in today's film where no one has a fucking job and they lay around and just like have sex and shower all day. Live in impossible apartments and shit. Exactly. Cause they're architects. They're architects, <laughs> generic businessmen. I think that these two have actual fucking jobs that they're really good at, highly successful at and find very important to do and, and still have an actual relationship. It's not dysfunctional because they work, which is another thing in films. I hate very much. Someone has a good job must be a horrible fucking boyfriend. Yeah, right. It's, it's 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 like, you know, when they're present, they're present, but unfortunately they can't be present all the time. So you can't sit there every night and fall asleep watching Netflix like 
a bunch of nine to fibers do. So many people are trained into believing that that's the way you're supposed to react when someone in your life is successful or busy and mm -hmm. like, hello, and get a life. Maybe some watch some 1981 American Italian cinema and see how an actual relationship is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. It is. It is very nice to see a, a, a fairly functioning uh, couple. And it also gives an idea to or, or sorry, gives a way for them to have a relationship, them both to have their jobs, because she's uh, people count on them both, right? And and especially her students, which she like loves a lot, and 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 also this provides a way for him to not really be around, but be around uh, as someone who works third shift. It, it is difficult to to really be present all the time for people, even when you know that they're going through something, because. I got to work and I got to sleep and you're up and doing things and tragedy can strike when you're unconscious, when everyone else is awake, right? Or a, a, the vast majority of daywalkers, as I call them, are awake. Now, this gives an opportunity for her to have to kind of like go it on her own a little bit. But she does have a friend. She does have, you know, blonde friend. Yeah, Skipper. Stacy. <laughs> Barbie. Holy frig. Helen? I think it's Helen, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the list of names because I could not remember her, this lady's name. Um, she's, you know, a typical high school best friend kind of best yeah. friend person. So, just like her, super good looking, buxom. Buxom. She is buxom. Yeah, buxom. Now... <laughs> Her boyfriend uh, believes her later on that there's a dog present on the property that she heard menacing her at some point. Believes her later because at first he's like, I looked in the apartments downstairs. There was no dog there. You're crazy. He doesn't say she's crazy, mm -hmm. but, you know. And Uncle Father is also very dismissive. He, he, he it's like he, oh you're, you're just having bad dreams is this bad dreams because of that dog from when you were kids yeah okay you're crazy it's weird also that he would take a moment to interject uh uncle father in the, in that particular scene when he's talking about the dreams and shit i find it very weird just not classy to talk to her julia and then stop talking to her face this dude and then start you don't understand, but here's this whole explanation. It's like, let her talk for herself if she wants to. I understand that this dialogue is for us, but it's just like not really how people talk, right? You would say something and then that's the cue for this person to elaborate on something that she wouldn't really have any business. Oh, he wouldn't really know unless he specifically told her. And up until fucking five days ago, he didn't even know that she had a sister, let alone these dog nightmares she used to have. But, but you know, and this is all to say that Julia has consistently had problems with nightmares as a child. And, and thanks to that opening sequence, we have a difficult time disagreeing mm -hmm. because that's clearly a nightmare right then and there. And if that's not real, then maybe none of it was real. But for fuck's sake, we've spent time with Mary. And we've also seen at this point that she's definitely killing her yeah. or killing people. Uh, with the help of her dog, so uh, these are what this is one of the more frustrating scenes where you just have like these two dudes just like. Oh. It also helps me you not like Uncle Father. Yeah, for sure, especially since like he's the one that fucking brought Julia to marry. He's the one that fucking d did that 
dirty fucking sermon just fucking trying to make her feel really bad and now he's just not even believing her and i was like what the fuck dog is anyone even looking for mary right now like what's happening yeah right i know (laughs) but you start to feel that way about sam for a little bit until he says hey look while i was waiting for you i saw these dog scratches on your door so you were right so what i'm gonna do is leave you alone for the night that's what i'm gonna do (laughs) i'm gonna just go to work yeah uh, he's gonna he's go not to really like that. He's not. He's not totally truly like that. But uh, he does take him a, a moment to go get Skipper. <laughs> yeah. And and ask her. I love that she's just like in a unitard stretching, and I'm just like, no, okay, I get it. Of course she is. I get it. She's very buxom. She was asking if Sasha the what. 10 year old boy who has a 13 year old brother if the 13 year old brother could give her a call in a couple years so that's where we are with helen helen is is on the prowl on the prowl oh my god she really is but i mean what she has nothing better to do at night except for stretch maybe drink white wine i'll bet you that's going on so (laughs) sam sends helen over to keep an eye on her and keep her company because she is kind of worried you know like her crazy sister is out on loose this dog is definitely prowling and I mean, she has a cat. It could attack a cat. It could attack the cat. We don't know. But this is where they have, and you think it's going to be girl slumber party time. It is not. Not in the way you think. One of them slumbers. One of them slumbers. That's kind of, I I was going to say that's kind of weird, but I've done that for people. Now, to be fair, um, I've watched over people while they were so violently hung over that I am basically sitting in the living room reading I think I actually watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Let's be real. I wasn't reading. Uh, and and they're passed out in bed. And I'm basically, I was like, oh, why am I have to be here? Like, what, what's going to happen? They're not going to die. Unless they do. Which they didn't. But Good thing you were there. Good thing I was there. Because they were Christ. fine. And then they even woke up and said, like, why are you here? And I was like, I don't know. Your roommate fucking. Anyway, that's a whole other story. The, the point is, is that. Her friend is there reading magazines and tries to get to play with the cat, but uh, is going to immediately be lured away by the siren calls of Mary saying creepy ass fucking shit (laughs) that would never make me ever fucking leave the room, let alone unlock the door. I would go get this fucking Julia that's asleep Well, Julia took some sleeping pills. I don't think she'd be very easy to wake up. Not very much help if she did. But you know what? Helen's a tough chick. She can go investigate creepy sounds all she wants, Wes. You're right. You're right. She is a modern woman of 1981, and she will investigate those sounds with zero fucking consequences. (laughs) As she fucking goes also to chase after the damn cat. Not only... Does Helen bite the big one? The cat gets fucking murked, too. Yeah, which is another use of almost... Okay, you know how when they have Mary coming at you, coming at you like a witch, and she's saying things, but her mouth isn't moving, and she's cackling, but she's not laughing, that sort of dreamy stuff? Well, when the cat is swinging from the noose, they're actually... You can hear cat sounds, and it's like the cat is quite obviously dead. It's a very dead cat. But you can hear, like, wow, and it's Mm -hmm. like... Okay, it's not really working here. This dreamy creepiness, but okay. It's yeah. good for the goose. It's good for the gander, I suppose. Or the, or the hanging cat. Yeah. Now, this is another dog kill. It is, and it's a little more active than the last one. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy when the dog has its jaws, I guess, around her skull, like dog would. They like to grind their teeth on the skulls mm. of things. That's what I've seen with my old huskies used to kill 
uh, gophers or prairie dogs and grind the teeth on the skull and look at you while they're doing it. That's my favorite thing. Um, while the dog is, is grabbing the head and shaking the body, her whole torso is coming off the ground. So it's a very violent or just a very well choreographed scene because the dog is a live dog, not a puppet puppy at this point. And the girl is acting her little ass off, I suppose. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty gory and it's a little longer than the last one. It's a good dog attack. Yeah, I, I I really dig this scene too. And also, we kind of realize we're running out of characters here. We are, and you know, we're gonna have another dog attack that we don't get to see. So I'm glad we got to be a little porny with this one because yeah. the next dog attack we don't get to see at all. That's true, and that is uh oh, poor little Sasha playing frisbee with the dogs in the park. Now, knowing that this is a video nasty leading up into this, I'm like, okay, here we are. This is it. This is where the dog eats a little deaf kid. (laughs) (laughs) The way you said that is great because that would be brutal. It's like, why is this on the video nasty list? Because the dog ate a little... (laughs) But no. Thankfully, we don't have to witness that sort of depravity. Uh, it's uh, This scene operates much in the same way as the hook scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre for me. Every time... <laughs> You're convinced. I'm convinced. I'm like, they show this kid getting bit. I'm sure of it. I wonder if some cutting room floor, some extras, or some first screen bit, or whatever the panel saw when they banned this film. It's possible. I wonder. It's possible. Although it does seem to be... It flows in a way that would make you think that, no, that scene could never exist or didn't mm-hmm. exist. They they set it up pretty well. Kid's playing Frisbee with this friendly little park dog. And the friendly little park dog chases the Frisbee behind a bush and then yelps and skitters away. We know that this deaf child can't hear the yelping. So it knows that the dog's gone, but wouldn't think there's anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So he goes to retrieve his Frisbee like he normally would. And there's our friend, the Rottweiler. The Rottweiler. And then we cut to ambulance and a body being carted away and parents crying. And yeah, it doesn't take much math to figure out that Sasha bit the yeah. big one. Or some, the I big wonder, one bit Sasha. I wonder if it was as simply a case of not really being able to make it look convincing. Perhaps the puppet versus the size of the actor. This is or, where I would use a puppet kid and a real dog. <laughs> Just like <laughs> That would make this fucking an instant classic for me. But no, we don't get any of that. And probably, you know what? You know, tastemakers prevail, I suppose. Maybe they just thought it was just too much. Tastemakers prevail. Yeah. Considering the scene that did land this into the video nasty bin, tastemakers <laughs> prevail, you say. They might as well have had a fucking doll that was being wailed around by the dog. It would have actually been a little less brutal than what we... Like, really. Really. At the end of the day, seeing a puppet of a kid being flailed around and eaten by a dog is a lot less than what happens to the fucking dog. Yeah. Is this just me knowing that I would value the life of the dog more? A lot of people would. I see nothing on social media but people who who say dogs are more important than anything in existence. I also don't have a problem with it getting its skull drilled. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that either. No. Um, that's just good fucking TV. But at least that they did this well. And I like all of these scenes dealing with Sasha's death. I specifically enjoy her explaining this to a class full of deaf children. The deaf children are 
either very good actors or some of them are actually deaf. Except one that doesn't seem deaf at all. Mm. Lying little brat. He's probably yeah. just in there because his teacher's hot. I was going to say, I was like, I was like, I was like, I understand why Julia probably likes Sasha, but I was like, I, like, I guess, but I was like, I definitely know why Sasha's hanging out with his special teacher. Because I was like, she's fucking gorgeous. If I was his oh, age. Oh, probably just other reasons who knows his parents looked elderly he probably just wanted some sort of like matronly person that actually looked up for the task but (laughs) really so she explains to them that uh sometimes bad things happen and one of those bad things happened to sasha he was in an accident and he won't be with us anymore and right away one of the kids said is he dead and she says yeah he's dead and they all have a little conversation about Let's talk about the things that we liked about Sasha. And they just have some cute little kid things to say. But it's relayed in this these sort of speeches, not quite an impediment, but just the certain tones that many deaf people do use because they're approximating what we should be hearing when people communicate verbally Mm -hmm. and they can't hear themselves. So they're somewhat tone deaf, I suppose you'd say. I don't know the actual words for this because I know deaf people, but I know... Not, none of them use vocalizations. I only know sign language. Uh, I've never known a, a deaf person uh, in my uh, personal life, aside from people who are just like very hard of hearing just because of like either age or uh, damage to their ears and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, no, I remember uh, I find uh, sign language so fascinating. Like mystifying? Almost. I remember when I was a kid, my sister... Um, had to do sign language. I think she was taking some kind of course for whatever reason. And the the task of the day was you needed to sign the lyrics of a song. And I guess you could pick whatever song you wanted. And for some reason, she picked Old Friend from Krista Berg. And so I always remember her practicing in the basement because we had like the big sound system and speaker setups. She'd be like, old friend. Like just like doing the lyrics to that uh, thing. No, this, this is, is old. Friend. This is friend. Yeah. Or whatever. So No one can see our hand signals. No one can see our, our very good uh, inaccurate hand signs. But so this is very interesting. I just like, um, you know, it just seems so authentic, these scenes. It truly does. Yeah. The same with Mr. Kimura swearing in Cantonese while he's stomping around the basement of the apartment. Like, that's <laughs> very authentic as well. Uh, but I did enjoy that. And they don't, um, you know, it's not exploitative again at all. This scene, to those who don't know deaf people, would probably think that it is, I, I think. It's hard to say. Like, people are so... Touching and weird about things they don't like, understand. High strung and so looking for something to be offended by, and there's well these children you you're you're I was like this is just flavor text basically for this movie it's it's like you could make her a teacher but how about you make her a teacher of deaf children that's a it's little super more. authentic and it makes this scene so much more touching because mm-hmm. you know I am interested in what these children have to say. When is the last time you heard me say that I was interested in what a child had to say? It's true. That's that's that's. I've never heard you say that ever. Exactly. So it's I really like, like this scene, and and especially when you're talking about like all the dumb kid noises they make, which is just kids speaking. But you um you 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 really touched on a, a really good point about just how you explain what happens when someone dies to children. And, and I think it was like she handled it really well. I love this scene because of that. And it seemed like a way that you would do it. And I also 
and you know this about me as I'm really I really dial into horror where they talk about the people who just died. Yeah. I can't like listen as much as I love slashers and as much as I um you know will champion those because they're just a fucking good time as far as I'm concerned. It can grate on me sometimes where I'm just like, really? Like, these people are like your best friends and they just died. And, and there's almost hardly a moment to look back because you're always running. And sometimes you could say, it's the fear. They don't have time to mourn. They'll mourn later, theoretically. But when movies take time to slow down and just be like, oh, my God, like, a kid just died. Have a fucking funeral, at least. That's that. I love funerals in horror movies, mm-hmm. and I would love a horror movie that is just a string of funerals and not a comedy, though. Yeah, um, and that's probably why I like mob and gangster films and mm-hmm. crime films because of the opulent and weepy funerals that often happen, and so much black umbrellas. Oh yeah, it's always you got to have a uh, nature itself is weeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, the skies have opened up. To but this also serves a double duty because not only does she get to have a really cool scene with her students, she can't go to San Francisco. That's true. And this is also a really um, good conversation between a couple. We're talking about two people who are very career oriented. This guy wants to be with his woman for her birthday. He's got an important meeting. Come along. It's, it's not like I'm going to this meeting and you're not coming or like, you know, I want you there because I want a I want your support. B, it's your birthday. And uh, C, we'll have a good time. Like, you know, get away from what's happening. Her response to that is she's going. Then she can't go because her bosses say the, this is just my bosses say that it's not good to leave the kids like there's just been a death in the classroom. And I agree. Like it's 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 a, it, it really it's her being responsible. It's not her just like oh they won't let me go. And he doesn't. What are you sure? And and he does give a little bit of dialogue. Well, very little pushback because he's like, what if I asked you again? Or are you sure? And she's like, oh, don't try and convince me because I just might. Yeah. Which is almost like leading him to be like, well, then come on. Yeah. But he just respects it. He respects yeah. it, and it's the respect between these two that I mm-hmm. really, really appreciate. Yeah. Because it's like, listen, I, I, you can go do do your teaching thing. I understand, and uh, we'll celebrate your birthday when I get back. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this looks out. This is good for uh, uh, father, uncle, or uncle father, uncle father, mm-hmm. because now he can throw his party. Which is kind of nice of him, you know. Maybe, maybe my opinion of him will turn around because he is a good uncle father. That sermon was just a misstep. Like you said, sometimes priests pull from their own lives in their sermons. That's all he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to have a little birthday party. And you know the good thing? He's bringing all these supplies to the basement. Mr. Kimura said that that it was fine to use the basement. And you know, a lot of these buildings these days have like game rooms and party rooms that you can rent out and well I, this is under renovation so really even if there weren't a game room or a party room these rooms could be whatever he wanted them to be exactly yeah and, and mr Kimura said it was fine my favorite is the fireplace and tire room yeah that's that's really good i was like this is where we keep our tire it's right <laughs> next to the fireplace just in case we want to pour some gasoline on it the huge empty room with nothing in it but a pile <laughs> of refuse and a fucking tire and an unused mantle <laughs> It's a huge empty room with just that in it. It's the fire. They cut to that room a lot, too. They do. 
people end up in there and so they're like, where the fuck am I? Where? Oh, I'm in the empty room with a tire in it. Okay. Yeah. Could you imagine trying to go over to someone's house for the first time and you just like, oh, I guess this is where I go. And then you walk in and like all you do is wander into a room that looks like that. You would just instantly think, oh, I'm in the wrong fucking place. <laughs> this is not where anyone lives. Exactly. <laughs> so this is where he's having the party. So he's carrying some supplies in. Yeah, some supplies. He needs a little help from the landlady. You know, that artsy fartsy weirdo. Yeah, Amanth. Amantha? Amantha. Uh, I want to call her Amarantha, but it's Amantha. Beauregard. Amantha Beauregard. Yeah, it's the most southern name. It is. You can possibly have. She belies her southern influences and upbringing often with her hippy dippiness. But it sure comes out. Holy it sure shit. comes out. It sure does. And you know what else who comes out of his shell, you might say? Uncle Father. Uncle Father. This sequence, and this was where I was really not sure about you. I I just thought to myself, she's either going to love this turn or she's going to hate it. And I don't know which it's going to be, but I think she'll like it. Don't so, worry so much about me, man. Don't worry about me. I always want to make sure that you're happy. If I hate it, I'll just stuff. like um, grumble. I'll grumble. Okay, I get grumbling. You're grumbling can hurt my feelings sometimes, though. Oh, piss. Don't be such a softie. I'm I am a softie. I'm, I'm sugar your spice. That's the thing. Well, I was grumbling about these fucking horrible folk songs he did. Yeah, they're, that, let me tell you something. That is hard to defend. Old I fucking. King Cole was a Mariel's. He just. Sings that? No one fucking sings that. was that. the thing. I, when he, sometimes when he's singing these songs, I'm like, oh my God. Like, I literally forgot that this was a thing that existed in the world. Yeah. I haven't heard some of these songs since I was in fucking short pants. Like a little Bart Simpson, little Dennis and Menace. Exactly. I see it now. But yeah, so Amantha, this, I guess this is her southern hospitality where she's like, I'll help you carry this stuff in. Mm-hmm. And they carry this giant bag in out of the yeah. back of his car that curiously looks like a hearse. It lo- does curiously look like a hearse and not too dissimilar from the car that... We know Mary escaped the hospital in. That the dog was actually beckoned back into after an attack. And how could Mr. Kimura give permission to use the basement when he's been dead for days? Wait a second. Hang on a second here. Yeah. Hold hold the phone. I kind of... This is where I put that asterisk. When he gave that sermon, I'm like, that fucking bastard. There's something to do with her disappearance. Mary isn't missing. Mary's got to be... He has to know where Mary is. Oh, he knew where Mary was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, I guess Mary's just kind of hanging out waiting for him because they're in cahoots. They are in definite cahoots. There's a sequence where she, he is so matter-of-fact and whimsical. This is where he gets... Behind the wheel of this crazy train or this crazy car, more accurately, and just fucking hits the gas. And he does not relent from this. This is a total fucking turn in a movie in which the actor is 180 degrees from where he started from. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. It's just like, oh, feels like there's a dead body in there. It's like, it is. It is a dead body. Zips it down. He's like, look, look. And the landlady, of course, exclaims, oh, he's dead. He's dead. And starts to lose her shit. And he starts stalking her. 
through the house and a really fun game of cat and mouse really fun for him i suppose not so much fun for her yeah really cat and mousey too like i'm not even kidding about that where she's trying to sneak up the stairs and then takes her shoes off so that he can't hear her and sneaks back into another place and hides under a bed and then he sees the shoes and then he goes and like taunts her with a knife and they have a like a almost a mental breakdown and then he leaves a glove on the staircase to make it look like he went one way. And it's like ridiculous. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous, but it works because it helps you get very comfortable quite quickly with the new uncle father. Yeah. Uncle father is just dialed up to 11. He's no longer father James. He's not wearing his collar anymore. And when he was kind of flirting with Amantha outside, uh, you had said something about um, good thing he's not, or we know that all the good, the good guy's mask is off because he's not wearing his collar. Yeah, I call him Uncle Bad Touch. Like, Uncle Bad. Touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he does project this very flirtatious. Um, he's very fucking winsome. He's like a magical, playful. Yeah, like like, like a fairy or or. Something like if you were to encounter, he's almost like the fucking leprechaun. If like if if he were instead of just singing old folk songs, he was talking in limericks. Yeah, he is very much like the leprechaun. You're very right there, very right. And it, you know, his Irish culture shines through. I suppose we've been calling him Uncle Father. His name is Father James. Father James, James Sullivan. You couldn't get a more Irish pastor's name than that. But mm-hmm. um, Uncle Father is hilarious because that's what he. This is where we start to see the creepiness and we start to really question like what was his relationship with mary considering they're so very close they're very close and you can listen there is aspects to the way that those two characters interact where i don't think incest is out of the question Mm -hmm. at all we don't get any verification and and no real verification on his true motives we know other than his sermon just that maybe, maybe, maybe it's just not God-fearing to turn your back on a sibling. True, but also it's not God-fearing to stalk and kill completely innocent people. Now, they are to be guests at Julia's birthday. And when her boyfriend like grabs a, a nap, quick nap, and then off to fucking San Francisco, sunny Francisco, to do home of rice of roni, <laughs> the San Francisco treat. <laughs> You're quite right. You're quite right. But that's fucking good shit, man. Um, what rice of roni are my jokes? Your jokes. Okay. Your jokes. You rice of roni is. Blasphemous, vile, horrible shit. Oh, I was gonna say is like you could cover your jokes in rice aroni, and I would just eat it. Yeah, gross. Because rice aroni is bad for you. Is it? Well, I guess so. Stuck a feather in his hat and called it rice aroni. No, that's not how the song goes. What well, it should. Macaroni used to be synonym for cool. So when we say that's wicked, people used to be like, "That's macaroni." I don't know. Is even that, making that is up. that true? That's what. That's why they say that in that song. It's not like he actually was having a delusion and thought it was inedible. He it, and he stuck a feather in his cap and called it fucking cool looking. That's what that means. So you call them macaroni. Or flash if you're if you're Australian. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm bringing that back. Oh God. I'm fucking bringing back macaroni. It's <laughs> macaroni. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> 
You know how I love old-timey slang. Man, new-timey slang? Half the shit you say, I don't understand. Yeah, you fucking... (laughs) What the fuck does Urban Dictionary say that this idiot is talking about this time? Um, He just cut it all out. Um, (laughs) I could tell you what's fucking macaroni. What's macaroni? Macaroni is this sweet fucking party that Uncle Father has cooked up. Hells yeah, like the kids say. Oh yeah, it's lit. It is lit. With a lot of candles. <laughs> and Christmas lights. He, it, it's kind of a cross between like a birthday party and a single bachelor apartment, early 20-somethings uh, like place. Just, oh, the kitchen and the loved ones. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Kitchen and loved ones. The, or, as we had read from your article, or we got from your article... The ending to Happy Birthday to me. Exactly, which I got to see now. I've I've enjoyed this ride. I've enjoyed this, and I enjoyed this Mad Hatter birthday party that we're about to have. Uh, so we, I'd really like to do Happy Birthday to me, and it's Canadian, is it not? Mm-hmm. This is not. This is not no at all. It's um, this Italian and American flick, and filmed in Georgia, which I don't understand the Italian influence. I guess the writers. There was a, a slew of writers, so this makes sense as to how. We get where we are in this film now with such very good writing, very effective writing, very effective writing to the point that we're totally sold on all these strange plot twists and even a complete character twist. And now we are in a fucking Hatter Deluxe birthday party here. Holy shit. And it's fine. I think that like once we, once you are in a room with Julia tied to a chair, Mary is present Everyone that has been murdered, with the exception of Sasha's uh, body, again, maybe they thought that'd be just too much. That, well, his parents wouldn't let him come. Yeah, and then you have fucking Uncle Father, and so you have two characters just just chewing the fucking scenery. And you get to get a bit of Mary's motivation. Is And, and as Julia's pleading with her, it's like, it's not my fault that I'm well and you're sick. And... Mary's idea is that she is going to mutilate Julia so they're twins again, so they look the same. Which is a fucking brilliant idea. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. It's really cool. Who's she, the crazy one now, huh? She she has a line that I like quite a bit. She says, most people's nightmares end when they wake up. Mine just begin. Which is a very wonderful line. I like that very much as well. That and just the whole twins again chant because mm-hmm. she goes from these like really lucid and very profound things she has to say, like that line, mm-hmm. to almost skipping around singing songing twins again, twins again, which I very I enjoy both of those moods of Mary that we're getting right here. Mm-hmm. Mary Mary quite contrary. I bet you that fucking Uncle Father sang that constantly. Yeah, he also has one of my more favorite Mother Goose about um, a girl who had a little curl in the middle of her forehead. And when she was good, she was very, very good. Mm -hmm. And when she was bad, she was horrid. And I think that's one of the other titles of this film was When She Was Bad. Yeah. um, There there was a little girl. that I think that was the alternative title. And also, And When She Was Bad. Oh. So it's very strange that they have both of those alternative titles that are not really used anywhere anymore. And they don't call it. Horrible dog that eats everyone. Yeah, the horrible dog that eats everyone, which is still around, by the way. That dog is still kicking. Now, 
They, he doesn't have a party hat on, though. He I does. I will point that out. If you're watching this film, hoping that you will see a dog in a party hat, you will not. You will not, but you'll get to see fucking Uncle Father in a weird, like, a little fireman's hat. It's adorable. It is. Little hats are very popular among gothic subculture, so I, I think true. that this would be um, a master class in hat wear. Yeah, yeah. But like, we did just have a royal wedding, so fascinators are all the rage again, so maybe it's little true. tiny hats. That's true. It's a very Lolita affair. It is. It is. So is this birthday party. Yeah, you could say that. Or you could also say that it's a fucking madhouse. I'd say it takes the cake. (laughs) (laughs) There is something something fucking wonderful about a madman wielding a knife and threatening you with it and pointing. I love it when people talk with knives, like in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, for emphasis. (laughs) Oh my god, the the turkey carver. (laughs) Yes. The electric knife is fun. I like it when people gesture with weapons. I do... do, Maybe that's a fetish. But I do like that. And this one is covered in the gore of a birthday cake, mm-hmm. which makes it even more surreal because he's just served up cake with the knife that he's been killing everybody with. Mm-hmm. And quite obviously been killing everyone with. Mary's used this knife. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got to be the same knife. No big fucking Michael Myers knife is around other than that knife. Mm-hmm. So I love the scene where he's, like, having a shitty conversation with poor Julia tied to a wheelchair of all things. And gesturing at her with his cake clacked knife. It's awesome. Cake caked knife? A cake caked knife? That's what it I is caked and cake. And I do love the genuine laughter that, that they seem to... For Mary's dumb little joke, it takes the cake. Mm-hmm. And they're really just fucking laughing. Uncle Father's incredulous about, well, you're afraid to die. It's, what do you mean you're afraid to die? It's like my whole business is death. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. See? It's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, there was a little girl who had a little curl. That is his only explanation. When he is point blank asked why. And he's it looks doing like this. he's really going to finally tell us, Julia, in the world, why he's doing this. Mm-hmm. And instead, he just uh, says this rhyme while you would get the sense that he's maybe talking about Mary. I mean, he's like kissing her while he's saying it. And so that's on the cheek, on the cheek, chased uncle Lee kisses. No, no, no. And also like, that's where you first get this implication. I'm like, was this more than, I mean, like he's a, he's a man of the cloth. He's an uncle. It's like two things that we, that we, we put the cliched pedophilic incest we certainly do. Relationship to, and this and guy she is, is somewhat wanton. Uh, through a lot of these conversations that she's having with her sister right now, with her sister strapped to a chair, she has her legs kind of straddled around her. It's not that noticeable, but mm-hmm. she is bare-legged. She's still wearing her shift from the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like, you know, scintillating around a little bit um, mm-hmm. cat-like and mm-hmm. horny. Maybe. And, and and so like this might just be that she was very dark, he was very dark. This this madness seems to come from somewhere, mm-hmm. and and so they they just found each other and became the and created this twisted relationship. I have a theory that he's their dad. Oh, it's possible because he does have a line something like you know, oh, your mother was the light of our lives. Your mother was such a saint. Your mother was this. Your mother was that. And and there was your father, who I know you never met. And that just sort of leave true. it hanging like that. So I really think that... That's a good theory. I like it. Yeah. Now, he's just going to kill Mary. And I'm assuming that 
it's an upgrade. He's like, well, this one's all disease ridden and, you know, Julia is so hot. Oh my, I, is that what's happening? That's is that what, what's happening? I don't know if that's what's happening because like, I thought he's just crazy. I figured this is just all crazy. This is Mary syndrome. And he has, he, I, I'm assuming that he raped his sister. And that's what, how these girls got born, these twins. Mm-hmm. And maybe him and his sister were twins to begin with. That would be interesting. And then that it's just that he's fucking crazy. But that he's that crazy that he wants another Mary in Julia. Interesting. I like it. That, that, I mean, it, it kind of falls apart after because of like, well, how is he going to do that? Is he going to like try to like mentally break her like Hannibal Lecter in the books and shit like that? So like now you'll be like in love with me and, and shit like that. Or or is it just he's not really he's not he's not rationally thinking because he doesn't think rationally. He's just like, oh, I'm just going to keep this person now and surrounded by all these dead people. And I don't know. I will say I did not see the death of Mary coming quite like that. No, it really comes out of nowhere, but that's kind of just the nature of how this film wants to operate. Now, I will say that fucking her boyfriend is on the way. He's got to go back to Julia's. And the reason why he's got to go back to Julia's is because his the cab that he was riding to the airport and got a flat. And then he was helping with the flat. And like the genius that a doctor would be, he put his stack of 1,000 papers speech on top of, loose, on top well, of the car. Well, he put a pen on it, Wes. Next to traffic in a mud puddle. And it's very windy out. Oh, my God. It, it's it's just like the papers blow around and you just think to yourself, what a fucking moron. Total moron. Um, so he says, I'm just going to have to go and get my other copy of my speech. Which he had at Julia's because that was a, that was a this is my birthday gift to you. You can read my speech from the conference. <laughs> Could you imagine? Well, if she's not going to be there, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting gesture. This is going to make me like feel bad about ever making anyone I'm ever dating uh, read something that I wrote. I was like, am I just this prick? Am I just like read my speech for the conference? I worry that I'm that prick all the time being a writer, but. I mean, I like I your know. stuff. It's Chris really, says he really likes it too. Yeah, I, I believe him. I believe everything he says. So. I think that, like, yeah, well, Chris is your number one fan. Yeah, I'm his number one fan. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, but a fan just sounds so weird. It does sound so weird. You just say fanatic. That's where the word comes from. That sounds better. Yeah, we're definitely fanatics of one another. But, yeah, I don't know. About work, about the work, a, a reader. He's definitely a reader of my work. There you go. There you yeah. go. And I like it when he has time to read. So if I have to supply something to read sometimes, it's fine. Like this speech, I think it's fine. She's not going to proofread it, and that's part of it. If you're expecting your significant, significant other to proofread your fucking shit, no, no, no. But for enjoyment and curiosity's sake. That's yeah. a good point. Now he's going to go toe-to-toe, or shall I say toe-to-paw. With the doll, yeah. With, yeah, uh, not even the puppy puppet at first, although we do get some puppy puppet action, because this dog is relentless. Oh, my God. So he'll fight with the dog, and he seems to be doing about as well as the security guard did, at least able to get the dog off of his arm, because that's like the dog's opening move. You'll, like, bite the arm and then weaken you, and then he'll get to the throat and kill you. This is an even longer dog fight, too, and I, I think it's filmed so much better. It's that kinetic motion you said, like, some of the motion of the camera is, <laughs> is helping here. Uh, so it's a lot more believable, and it's 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 quite a wonderfully fought scene is a wonderfully shot 
fight scene. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Not a fought fight scene. It's a fought fight scene. Um, and and just when you're worried that dog puppet's not going to come, just like a fucking battering ram from the medieval era. It's like here's Johnny. <laughs> But Rottweiler style. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. It is. And then, but now the dog is trying to get through this balsa wood door. And fucking, like a professional wrestler, he just gets the dog in a headlock. Yeah. yeah. But then he finds. I thought he was just going to break its neck. No, he better, better lids. Mm-hmm. Power drill. Yeah. He is going to fucking power drill while. Fucking Mary Whitehouse fucking just, I don't know, freaks out. Yeah. <laughs> Faints on the floor. Completely. Oh, my word. I can imagine the pandemonium in a theater for this scene. I Especially when you don't see it coming. Not at all. And, and, and not only that, it really lingers on it. Like, you see that dog's brains, like, coming out of the top of its fucking head. It's the longest death scene in the film. Just right on the dog. There is no nuance. There's no subtlety. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. And when you think, like, the dog is mortally injured, is definitely not going to make it. There's still a door between you and the dog. Yeah. You could drill its head, and you got its brains mixed around pretty good. It's going to die. You could let go. But he just keeps going. <laughs> it's almost like he's enjoying this. And the dog, you know, if... if he had been witness to all of the attacks. You could see him having a little sort of maniacal glee here, but it's unfounded a, a little bit, a little bit. But it's all that he could do to get away from the dog. Especially since this is really his first encounter with anything. It is. He walked. He he walked into the house. Something was amiss. Dog attacked him, and he had to power drill its head. It's interesting that they chose a power drill, but that's he looked around for a weapon. It's not like he pulled the power drill out of his pocket. He like looked around for the closest weapon. It just happened to be the absolutely closest weapon. The dog was relentless and extremely strong. Yeah, so the dog's gone. Mary is gone. And <laughs> there are a couple of scenes in movies in which people enter rooms and they see something. And I... Just, I'm immediately filled with glee. And one scene is from Ghoulies. And the first Ghoulies movie, there's a scene in which the, the, the female lead, she goes down to the basement. And there's this fucking guy uh, who's been working on this house this whole time, doing renovations. And he's downstairs with a staff in a robe doing a satanic ritual by himself. And I... I love this idea of him looking, looking at her like she caught him jerking off to really fucking obscene porn, like, like fucking a sheet porn type stuff. He's like, just like that. And so, and this scene is even better because his, he's just drilled the dog's head. He swings open this door. Uncle Father is playing hopscotch while wearing a little fireman hat while his girlfriend is tied to a wheelchair surrounded by five dead people in party hats. And I don't even know what Uncle Father is saying 
He's like saying another one of his fucking. He's saying a song that I didn't recognize as far as nursery rhymes, and I'm not a nursery rhyme expert by Me any either. means. But I'm so it may exist, and I'm tempted to go back and jot down what he's singing because he's singing about a crazy family, and that the mother was crazy and the father was crazy, and I think that he's giving us clues about I what I'm assuming is his incestuous relationship that was a rape scenario that begat these twin girls and that they were crazy like i i think that that's what he's talking about but i didn't hear every single word he said so that or it's a very appropriately chosen wonderful nursery rhyme that everyone has forgotten and i kind of hope that that's the true part yeah i i now that you say that i, I definitely agree with you i think that just the look on his face when he's opening the door <laughs> What the fuck? What the actual fuck? Yeah. But he processes it all pretty quickly. And then uh, Uncle Father, like, so distracted. Mary, oh, she's sleepy. And then he's got to go pick her up and put her on the stairwell. The thing that makes it um, almost oddly sexual is when he lays her on the banister, which, by the way, why you would think to like lay someone on a, the railing of a fucking stairwell like this is where you rest now which is strange because it's, it's weird that she even like was able to balance there yeah especially when you're dealing with like dead weight like legs and arms and head alone would shift the weight to the point in which yeah no she hasn't gone she hasn't been dead long enough to become uh stiff or stiff anything, or anything no, like that not at all so he does that and then it's like this weird like lingering passing down her body with his hand I think he pats from her breastbone down between her breasts over her stomach over her pubis and just down one leg slightly which is just an extremely intimate act and it's doubly sick because it's uncle and pastor and this is a dead body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's, it's very very creepy and it seems that they had shared that sort of intimacy because i doubt that it's only in her death that he becomes that close so i'm pretty sure it's just another thing that reinforces it's not proof yet of our yeah. theory but it is if you didn't think that he's an incestuous creep up until this point then this might make you think that yeah exactly now this is where he's gonna like put the screws to everyone else i guess he's just gonna kill him now while he almost lets Julia get completely untied by her boyfriend. But then he interjects with his cake blood knife now. And I just think it's like, God, this fucking knife is gross now. Yeah, it's totally gross. I would not cut a cake or kill a body with it before it gets a good scrubbing. Yeah. And he gets distracted long enough, turns his back on Julia. That's a mistake. Because she is just going to ask him a couple of questions. Oh, God. It's all about weapons at hand, though. She turns for a weapon and poof, there's an axe. Almost as good as a power drill. Maybe better. Because she goes fucking berserk. She goes berserk like you read about, man. And and this is another very graphic death. Oh, very bloody. He She's axing him in the back. And I think that if you looked closely, you could see like spine and vertebra separating in between and stuff. Like it's oh, very yeah. gross. It, yeah. It almost seems like she's going to hit him enough times to turn, like to cleave his torso almost in two. Yeah. that's She hits him numerous times and it is with all of the might that she can muster. She's covered in blood by the end. Blood is absolutely flying everywhere. And it's not quite an axe, really. It's a hatchet. It's a hatchet. It's a hatchet. So she has 
you know, all of her strength into this like nice, small, sharp implement that works really well for cutting up someone's back like that. Kills him fairly instantly. He doesn't fight back. So she's in no real danger, which is a lovely, almost final girl-esque feel here. Her husband or husband boyfriend is looking on in horror. Oh, and I probably had the Freudian slip of husband because I'd made a joke here. I'm like, this is probably what Chris would be witnessing if I ever had to kill a spider. Mm-hmm. And then you see this, the face of the gentleman in like absolute abject horror. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's a wonderful scene because she loses her fucking shit. I don't know if she'll ever, ever come back from this. It might be one of those scenarios like, like I spit on your grave where somebody is fine, but you know, in the boat, like fucking deranged and shit like that because of all the, the murder of their bloody revenge now done. And, uh, you know, she's been tormented by both her sister and tormented by uh, Uncle Father, you know, who's orchestrated this whole fucking thing just to make her miserable and kill everyone that she cares about. Sort of. Like she cared about her landlady. Yeah, I don't care. And you know, it's funny. It's like the, the security guard, um, Uncle Father, is, is uh, Father James is saying, it's like, well, this is my friend. And I was like, no, oh, I see. Like, this is like when you're throwing a party and you, and you don't really know anybody, you actually invite one of your own friends because it's like, well, you know, it's my... It's, it's my niece's birthday, and I just don't really know anybody there. So you want to come along just sort of, like, be, like, my bro in the corner? We'll just grab some beers and laugh and shit. He, he's that guy, but he had to embalm him because he's been dead actually quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, so th- this is those moments where, you know, she Julia has almost embraced her legacy. Twins again, would you say? Twins again. Perhaps she will never be the same. And maybe that is what... Mary's final words actually mean you'll never escape me because she's got like fucking Jason Voorhees. She's got, or maybe more accurately, like Sissy Spacek. She's got like one more burst of life in her Mm -hmm. and just long enough to basically say like, you'll never escape me. Which I didn't see coming. I did not see that coming because she was quite dead. And the banister is a weird spot for a body, but it's very helpful when that body is going to resurrect for four seconds to have their final words their final words and then she collapsed in death and then we're gone but not without a little quote which i can't remember verbatim but it basically says along the lines of you know this is not like like a play has a concrete plot life is not like that it's like there's vagueness and uh so george bernard shaw quote ah there you go yeah about theater about theater theater it's very cool. And I think that, again, it's 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 saying, yeah, uh, Father James orchestrated this whole thing, and he's dead, and he wasn't clear with why he did it, so we'll never know why he did it, and no, one, no one's left alive that could tell Julia about anything, about what happened, and so she'll never know, and who knows if she'll ever be fine again. We don't know. So it's almost um, nihilistic, and it's just aimless. She might as well be in the back of a pickup truck somewhere in Texas. That's exactly. kind of how it ends. And I like that. I, I enjoy that very, very, very much. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this film very much, and I hope I'll enjoy Happy Birthday to Me when we see it. Maybe for your birthday, because it's not a surprise anymore, is it? <laughs> I guess it's not a surprise anymore. But, I mean, man, Happy Birthday to Me, just holding that uh, Blu-ray makes me... Like taste cheap cake icing and shit like that. Like I can just like smell it almost. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> what do we got next for? 
Next, we have uh, People Under the Stairs. Yeah. I think this is going to be a nice little transition. Oh, yeah. If we want to talk incest uncle fathers and stuff like that, and that wonderful Wes Craven flick. (laughs) I'm really excited. It's been a long time since I've seen People Under the Stairs, and when you suggested it, I was just instantly on board. It will be a heartwarming reunion. And if only, you know, I wish I could channel Amy Jane Vosper every fucking day. And that's one specifically I'd love to, because I think they watched it for Trent Film Society and uh, had had some conversations about it via V Flowers in the Attic. Okay. Yeah. So I wish, I just wish I could just take that little part of her brain and keep it in my pocket for when I need it. You can use a drill and get in there. I could. No, I couldn't. Amy's awesome. Although she could hide it under one of those little tiny hats. She does wear a tiny hat very well. I have seen the tiny hats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.